Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Wonderful to have the opportunity to present God's Word before you. It's always a unique privilege and a true blessing to be able to do so, to open God's Word. And before we do that, I'd just like to open with a word of prayer and ask His blessing upon its reading. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired men of old and carried them along, inspired the very words we are to read today. May your same Holy Spirit that inspired those men to write those words down, may he now write them on our hearts so that we would live out what we hear, that we would not be like a man who goes to the mirror and quickly forgets what he sees, Lord, but recalls and moves forward in his life steadfast. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to produce a crop 30, 60, even 100 fold so that we would produce the crop for you, Lord, and give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Our passage this morning will be 2 Samuel 9, verse 1 through 13. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machar. And King David sent and brought him from the house of Machar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of your father, Saul your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land from him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. As far as the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, Some of you may have been aware that recently I um, had to undergo surgery. Um, And if any of you have ever... Uh, done that, um, you recognize it's, it's not something you ever planned to do or wanted to do, and yet surgery has a unique way of humbling you, doesn't it? 
suddenly bringing you back from the strength that you thought you had, from your own self-reliance, from your own confidence, and making you rely on others, making you dependent on others for very simple tasks. In my case, they said, well, you can't lift anything over 20 pounds for six weeks. You can't run. And just thought about that, and okay, sure, that, that sounds doable until... You know, one week goes by, and then two weeks go by, and your kids are getting things for you that you normally got, and you can't lift this anymore. It's a very humbling experience. It, it puts you in a different frame of mind. I think it's good, though. It's good because I think our society naturally is a self-reliant society. In fact, that's part of who we are as Americans. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? We, we encourage the underdog to, to overcome, and, and we rejoice with those that have made something out of nothing. But sometimes I think it's a little bit easy to become self-conceited, isn't it? To think that everything we have, we've done on our own. Even as Christians, to begin to become self-righteous, to become self-reliant and think, wow, I'm doing pretty good here, ain't I, Lord? We become proud, thinking we deserve what we are getting and, and looking down on others. We become maybe complacent with the things that are holy. In the army, we have a saying that complacency kills. In fact, isn't that exactly what happened to Uzzah a few chapters before this one, 2 Samuel 6? He, he thought he was on good ground. He thought he had good reason. And yet, when he reached out to tar- touch the ark to save it, God struck him down dead. He became complacent with the things that were holy, with who God was. It's understanding that we don't always recognize the gravity of our sin and how that truly separates us from God and His holiness. As R.C. Sproul calls it, sin, the sin that we commit, is cosmic treason. Let's think about that for a moment. Cosmic treason. Do we recognize our sin every day as, as cosmic treason? Again, like surgery, it it makes us pause and and think, where are we in relation to who God is? I think this is an amazing story, uh, one that is a microcosm of, of God's grace that reveals the larger, grander story of God's amazing grace through his gospel. This is just a small picture of what we see God revealed to us in fullness in his son Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And we get a taste of that here in the Old Testament. Now I don't have any uh, fancy points, just a unique title there from dad's dead dogs to the king's kids. But I think all my sermons would try to fall within the three scope of the Heidelberg Catechism, which said, um, what, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Asking question one, that our comfort, our only comfort, is in Jesus Christ, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul. And the, the threefold answer is, we have to know how great our sin and misery is. Two, we have to know our Savior who saves us from that sin and misery. And three, 
We have to know how to serve God in thankfulness and gratitude because he has saved us. And I think we'll see that flow out of this text this morning. So we'll just start and work our way through the text. Uh, Verse 1, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, the kindness of the father is for the sake of his son. It has nothing to do with anybody else but simply because of Jonathan. In fact, in this case, David is recalling the covenant that he made with Jonathan. And you may remember that story. When David was fearing for his life because he thought Saul was going to kill him, he came to Jonathan, his very, very close friend, Saul's son, and said, Jonathan, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to tell me if your father is going to kill me. I'm going to stay outside of the palace, and you give me an indication. I want you to kind of read your father and tell me if if he's angry that I'm not there. And they came up with this idea, right, that David would be out in the field, and then Jonathan would shoot these arrows, and if he told them his servant would run out and get the arrows, hey, the arrows are beyond you, that was their sign. Get out of there. It's not safe for you to be here, David. That's in a pretty powerful relationship that they had because you have to understand Jonathan is pretty much acquiescing his rightful place to the throne. He's saying, David, I I acknowledge that you're going to be the one. And so they come up with this covenant. In fact, it says this in 1 Samuel 20, verse 14. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. This is Jonathan speaking to David. When the Lord cuts off every one of my enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. It's a powerful covenant that David is recalling here. In verse 2, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? And David understands this word kindness to mean undeserving grace and favor. In fact, this, this word, the same word that I just used from 1 Samuel 20 in that covenant language was steadfast love, it was translated there. It's the same word, they just translated it steadfast love there, and now here they're translating it as kindness. Well, it's much more than kindness. In fact, kindness doesn't even really begin to grasp what this word means, this Hebrew word hesed. It means loyal love or faithful love, covenant love, steadfast love. It's a love that that sticks. It's a love that stays. We might see that, that love in, in marriage. It's a love that commits itself and, and refuses to let go. It's a love that refuses to forget. It's the showering of bounty that, that's the result of the love of the giver. The heart of the giver is filled with love, and because it is filled with love, it can't help but shower that love on the receiver. That's David in this case. He says, is there somebody I can shower God's love, this faithful covenant love, because of that covenant, that steadfast love I made with Jonathan? Is there somebody I can do that for the sake of Jonathan? Yes, comes the answer. Ziba said to the king, 
There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. That story comes to us uh, just a few chapters before, 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, there's this little story of David and Jonathan, or Jonathan and Saul, and they were in battle. And so this nurse picked up young Mephibosheth and was fleeing for his safety. And while she picked him up and was fleeing with him, she dropped him. And he became lame in both of his feet. He suffered. And now Mephibosheth, he had lost his family. Jonathan, his father, and his grandfather, the king Saul. He had lost his position. He certainly wasn't going to have any rightful place on the throne. He lost his wealth. He was crippled. This child has nothing. He is, he is living in exile in this small town called Lodabar. Kind of this place out in the middle of nowhere. We might say Timbuktu. Keeping himself safe from the king. He's now a reject, now crippled, now poor, now within any power of his own to change the status that he's in. Does that remind you of our situation? You see, we too fell and become crippled by our sin. We too suffered a fall. A fall that severely changed our status before God. A fall that put us outside of the king's presence. A fall that changed our status to a place where we couldn't do anything to make up for it. We are no longer worthy to come into the king's presence as we are. Now I find it interesting that a couple chapters before this, David says this in 2 Samuel 5 verse 6. You see, Jerusalem had not yet been the capital. And so David was trying to take over Jerusalem and he was fighting against the Jebusites. 2 Samuel 5, 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, I love this part, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame, they will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. I think it's pretty clear that David doesn't have any affection for the lame or the blind. In fact, it says that David's soul hated the lame and the blind because of this incident with the Jebusites. Now, the lame and the blind, the crippled from the fall, they have no place in the king's palace. But something happens. You see, the king said to him, Where is this boy? Where is he? Verse 4, And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Makar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar. Isn't that interesting as well? 
You see, it's not, it's not Mephibosheth making his way up to the king and, and saying, Oh Lord, may I find favor in your eyes. Forgive me. Uh, please remember this covenant you made with my father, Jonathan. Have mercy on me. <coughs> no. It's the king that sets out and seeks the cripple. It's the king who looks and searches for Mephibosheth. Jesus Christ came, he, he said he came to seek and to save the lost. That's sovereign grace, ladies and gentlemen. That's the hound of heaven going out and looking for those who need redeeming. That's our God. That's David giving us a picture there. King sends for Meshibosheth not because there was anything in him that would benefit him. David wasn't looking to get Mephibosheth back because that would gain him something in some way. No, he had nothing to offer David. Nothing at all. And yet, because of the kindness and the covenant that he had with his father is the only reason he sought out Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, verse 6, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. He fell on his face and paid him homage. Remember now, Mephibosheth knows what he deserves. He expects to be condemned. Why would he? Because that's what kings did back in that day. All you have to do is spend a little time in the Old Testament and see that when one king takes power, the old king is gone. They're eliminated. The family destroyed. In fact, Later on in, in 2 Samuel, David gives up six sons to the Gibeonites of, of Saul. Some people say that that chapter originally was before this. Whatever we, we, we think about that, the case is recorded that he gave up six sons to be hung by the Gibeonites. Because the Gibeonites said, you know what? We remember what they did to us. We don't want any money. We don't want anything else. We want them dead. Yes, Mephibosheth deserves to die. He's from the old regime. He's an enemy of the state. He's an enemy of the king. He should be afraid. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine two FBI agents coming to your door, knocking? Hey, FBI here. Is your first response, great. What, what do you got for me, guys? No, you're like, whoa, what's going on? What did I do? You can imagine Mephibosheth, like I said, Timbuktu, he's hiding out. King's men? King's men are here. Hey, King's men are here. Oh, great. It's over. I'm done. Bring him to the palace. Oh, David. Maybe he doesn't even know anything about the covenant David has with Jonathan. Huh. I can see why he would be deathly afraid. David said to Mephibosheth, he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. Remember, he expects to die. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. 
Again, it's not for our sake, but for the sons that the king shows us kindness. It's not because of anything we have. It's only because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. That God shows us any kindness at all. That God shows us any regard at all. We have nothing in our hands our brain. we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. Yet, I remember as a kid even saying the prayer before bed. And I would always end it with, for Jesus' sake, amen. Anybody ever say that? For Jesus' sake, amen. You see what is happening here? I didn't know why I was repeating this phrase as a young kid. But that's what's happening here. For Jonathan's sake. Not for you. God, when I pray this prayer, please, on behalf of Jesus, for Jesus' sake, remember it. That's Mephibosheth here. I'm showering my love upon you because of who you are attached to. That's it. Think of that. I'm showing kindness and love and grace to you simply because I know who you're attached to. You're attached to my son because of what somebody else has done. They're looking at you and saying, only because you're with him. Only because of what he's done for you am I going to regard you. I can't imagine Mephibosheth sitting there and thinking, wow, I deserve to die. This man is showing me kindness. Praise the Lord, my father had some relationship with him. Totally dependent on whatever that was. You see, we don't fully understand what grace is. I think we often get grace and mercy confused. I know this even because when uh, I lived in North Carolina by Fort Bragg, we were receiving this paper. I was in the mall one day, right, and there, the uh, Fayetteville, I don't know, even know what it is anymore, Fayetteville Observer, and they're sitting in the mall, and they're like, hey, you can get, you know, seven weeks of papers. Sign up here, and, and then uh, seven weeks of papers for free. I'm like, wow, it's pretty good. I'm really that interested in the paper, but it might be good. You get the ads and stuff. All right, check it out. So I signed up for it. We're getting, getting the paper. Seven weeks go by. Week eight, still getting the paper. Like, wow, this is really bonus here. And uh, suddenly I get a call from the paper. Hey, you haven't paid for your paper. I said, no, I got seven weeks free and that was it. It's like, well, you're, you're under the grace period right now. It's like, grace period? Yeah, we continue to give you the paper, um, but your seven weeks is up. So the grace period kicked in, and now you owe us. I said, are you calling that a grace period? I said, wait a minute, do you know what grace is? And I began to talk to this lady on the phone about grace. I said, you can't charge me for a paper. It's supposed to be free. And you're calling it a grace period. So we had, a, we had an interesting discussion about that. But that's, that's our society. We hear it all the time in, in lingo, right? You know, police officer pulls you over, lets you off. Oh, man, he was so gracious to me. No, he wasn't. He was merciful to you. That's mercy. It didn't cost the police officer anything to let you go. Grace cost something. Grace is different than Mercy. 
Grace is not what we deserve. But not only is it not what we deserve, we get something instead of at somebody's expense. That's incredible for who we are. Think of Romans 5.10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled by God by the death of his son. Wait a minute. Mephibosheth was an enemy. Incredible picture here. While we were enemies, we were reconciled by God. In fact, Paul's whole purpose in that chapter of Romans 5, 6 through 11 is to drive home how simply unexplainable God's way is with us. Doesn't make any sense. You remember how it reads, verse 5, verse 6, Romans 5, 6? While we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. I will restore to you, here's the part of the grace, I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. That is a privilege reserved for a member of the king's family for a son. And yet Mephibosheth gets to come and eat with the king. In verse 8, he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? You know, I bet if you were meeting Mephibosheth in Lodabar a week prior, and you say, Hey, Mephibosheth, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. What changed from a week ago in Lodabar to, I'm a dead dog? You know what changed? The presence of the king. The presence of the king. Suddenly, David, suddenly Mephibosheth came face to face with who he really was. He was undone, as we've seen in the New Testament. Peter before Jesus. Whoa. Isaiah before the throne. I am undone. Mephibosheth, I'm a dead dog. I deserve to die. Yes, that's the incredible part here. Mephibosheth understands exactly who he is and exactly what he deserves. Do we understand that? Do we grasp that even a little bit? Do we understand that we are simply dead dogs as well? Think of that story in the New Testament with the Seraphonician woman who comes to Jesus and Jesus says, I don't got anything for a dog like you, essentially, right? He says, well, even the dogs eat from the crumbs. And he says what? Great is your faith. You see, when you're down, when you recognize who you are and you come to God, I have nothing in my hands I bring. That's when Jesus says to you, yes, now I can help you. Put away, put down your deadly deeds of doing and know that Christ has done it for you. That's when Christ can offer his mercy to you and not before, when he can offer his grace to you. And the king called to Ziba, gave, gave him everything, all that belonged to Saul. He gave to Mephibosheth, verse 9. He received the king's inheritance 
Verse 10, you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. Bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. You see, the promise is forever. Forever. It's not conditioned on anything. Forever Mephibosheth will eat. Verse 11 Then Ziva said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. This enemy, now a son. Verse 13, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He ate always at the king's table. This dead dog is now a king's son. That's incredible. You see, grace is only amazing when you understand who you are and what you deserve. Grace is only amazing when you understand who you are and what you deserve. First John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we, that we should be called children of God. Astounding. Pause and envision this scene with me in the royal dining room as the words of Charles Swindoll to assist us. The dinner bell rings in the king's palace and David comes to the head of the table and he sits down. In a few moments, Amnon, clever, crafty Amnon, sits to the left of David. Then lovely and gracious Tamar, a charming and beautiful young woman, takes her seat next to Amnon. And then across the way comes Solomon. He's walking slowly from his study, precocious, brilliant Solomon, the heir apparent. He comes and he takes his seat next to Tamar. And then Absalom, handsome, winsome Absalom with beautiful flowing hair, black as a raven down to his shoulders. Absalom comes and he sits down. And that particular evening, Joab, the courageous warrior and David's commander of the troops, he's been invited to dinner. His muscular, bronze Joab seated near the king. And then they wait. They hear the the shuffling of feet and the clump, clump, clump of Mephibosheth's crutches making his way down the hallway as he awkwardly shuffles and fills in his seat at the table. And the tablecloth covers his feet. I ask you, did Mephibosheth understand what grace was? At the table where we will be invited by the king. Not because of what we've done, but for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. And the covenant will cover us. And all of our lameness will be no more.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We recognize we don't deserve it, we can't earn it. But we simply have been given by your grace. Lord, thank you for this gift. Help us to receive it and help us to live our lives in light of that gift that we might tell others. In Jesus' name I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.